Well, good afternoon everyone and praise the Lord Jesus. It's our first Wednesday of the year 2016 and we thank God that uh, you made it. Give somebody a high five, tell him thank God you made it for the first one. Amen. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I want to begin on a subject, a series of teaching. I pray that God will give me grace to pull through the entire month of January. We have Wednesday 6, that's today, 13th, 20th, and 27th. I already have a feeling that uh, this will not be adequate time, but also I have no intention to stretch it beyond January uh, because in the first quarter of the year, we are laying the general infrastructure of the things we'll be laying in the, in the course of the year. Um, and I trust that God will give us grace. I want to request you to uh, make every effort to be here every Wednesday, every Wednesday. It's also my determination not to allow this to flow into the main service. I hope God will help me and remind me because I strongly feel that uh, what is going to be happening in the Wednesday service, part of our coming together this year, Part of what will be happening here will be like in a quarry. You know what happens in a quarry? Uh, in a quarry, you, you blast the rocks and chisel out from the rocks stones. And sort of, I feel God is going to apply a very immensely great spiritual force in what you'll be doing with us in the Wednesday service. Because I believe that God seeks to do more in our Sunday services this year. And the workforce, the team, the anointing, the grace that will help do some of that in the main service uh, will come from what God will do in this. Much, much smaller in terms of numbers. But I never despise the Wednesday service at all. Because to me it's not really the number of people that determine the size of a meeting even though numbers are good. But even though numbers are important, really it's not about numbers. It's about the depth we can go into in the word of God uh, and the manifestation of the power and the presence of God. But I strongly feel that there will be a lot of building and construction that will be taking place in the Wednesday service this year. A lot of that will be happening. And, and perhaps we need to remind ourselves, therefore, that as we come in through these doors, we need to come with an attitude to learn, to be stretched, uh, because school of wisdom is not Sunday service. Tell your neighbor, school of wisdom is not Sunday service. It's not an extension of Sunday service. It's not a shortened version of Sunday service. Come on, talk to someone. Come. Eh? But school of wisdom, but school of wisdom, a simple school where we come to interact with wisdom. Amen. And uh, you know that wisdom is, an, is a dimension of the mystery of Christ. So when we share wisdom, we go a little bit deeper and it will require that you be very, very sensitive and very, very alert as we, we, we look at these matters. We have already made the announcement that uh, the, 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 the Holy Spirit did uh, lay in the hearts of uh, the elders who oversee this work, I being the senior elder, the Holy Spirit laid in our hearts that the focus 
of our ministry this year will be to excel in the knowledge of Christ. I, I thought we would get away from this matter of Christ come 2016, but we are back there. It looks like we'll never leave this place, this person, this matter called Christ. Only different perspectives, only different viewpoints, but it looks like we have become addicts now of this grand subject, which is the grand subject of the Bible in a way uh, that is called Christ. Apostle Paul so efficiently uh, places in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3 the truth that Christ is the mystery of God. Christ is the mystery of God. Christ is this thing about God that cannot be known naturally, that cannot be known just in human ability, but can only be known. Christ is this thing about God that can only be known when God chooses to make it known. Christ is this thing about God, and we know it's not a thing, really. It's the knowledge, it's the understanding, it's the insight, it's the revelation about God, which cannot be known unless God himself reveals it. And that is exactly what happened to Simon by Jonah in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus asked them the question, who do they say that I am? And they gave all sorts of answers and they, they implied that Christ was one of the prophets. Then he turned to his own and also asked them the question, but who do you say that I am? It is Simon bar Jonah that said that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commanded him. He said, blessed are thou Simon bar Jonah for flesh and blood. In other words, not in your own ability. Flesh and blood. It's not a man. Flesh and blood has not revealed. Flesh and blood cannot, will not, will never reveal. But he says, but my father has revealed this to you. So in other words, therefore, Christ is this understanding, this knowledge of God or about God that cannot be known by anyone, even out of desire. Can only be known when God chooses to reveal. And that's why in Matthew chapter 11, again, Jesus thanked the father and told the father, I thank you, my father. Because you have hidden these things to the wise, to the rulers, to the great. But you have revealed these things to the babies who have no experience, who have no money, who have no status, who have no name. But you have hidden these things to those who have the means. If these things will be found in a, in a university, then those who are in the university should have found them. But you have hidden these things to them and you have revealed to babies. Babies here implies uh, naive innocent, inexperienced, helpless. God reveals. God has revealed. And then Jesus moves on to Matthew chapter 11 verse 20, 28 and says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Some of the laboring and the burden has got to do with man's own effort to know God. You will labor and find nothing. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Why? Because when you come to me, you will learn of me. You know, Christ is, is more than university. In him are many departments. In him are many disciplines. You can never come to the end of studying Christ. And I'm so glad because this gives me the assurance that I will never get bored in Christianity. Aren't you not glad about that? You will never get bored? Come on, we're not going to see the bottom. We'll keep studying and keep studying. It gets more interesting and more interesting and more interesting. He said, come to me and learn of me. 
And then he points us to his internal makeup, his internal spiritual constitution. He says, come and learn of me for I am meek and lowly. And he's pointing us to his nature. And so really when we study Christ, we are studying the nature of God as put on display through that man called Jesus the Christ. We know very well from the Bible in the book of Matthew chapter 3 that Jesus was Jesus until he was the age 30. At the age of 30, he too, like everyone else, came down to the Jordan and was baptized by, by John. And the scripture says he was praying. And as he was praying, the heavens opened. When the heavens opened, then the spirit came down in the form of a dove, alighted on his shoulder. Then the heaven spoke, or a voice came from heaven that said, this is, not that is. See, if the voice said that is, it would mean the father was so far away, as far away as the heaven, and the son was so far away, as far away as the earth. But it did not say that is. The voice said, this is. In other words, both the father, the son, and the spirit bearing witness together in that water in the Jordan, the father saying in his voice that this is my beloved son. From that time, we know that Matthew chapter 4 or Luke chapter 4, he was not only filled with the Spirit, he went out to the wilderness and then came back full of the power of the Spirit. And from then was he then called the Christ. Christ meaning the anointed one. So God anointed a man called Jesus. Jesus was a man completely human like you are. When the Spirit of the Father came upon him, the same Spirit we received, the Spirit of Adoption, then the what is mortal, what is just human, put on what is immortal, what is spirit, what is godly, what is heavenly, and that put God on display. Now, that's the same, same thing God seeks to do in your life. And this journey started on the day you got born again, you got connected to God. And immediately after giving your life to Jesus, being born, born again, that was a baby, that was a child. That's the child that must mature from being a nephews and come to the place like we have been sharing in the past where you are a huios, fully matured son that also becomes a patal, that becomes a father. It is at the point of being a father that God uses you, a son, to raise other sons. Amen? And, and therefore, Christ decodes God. Christ makes the invisible God visible. He makes God who is a mystery become so plain and so easy that all and sundry can see and say of a truth, this is who God is and this is what God looks like. So, so we'll go a little bit deep into this mystery and I'm beginning on an interesting subject here tonight that will really uh, get some heads rolling, but that's okay because we'll take time and talk about these things so if you hear anything strange tonight, just hold your horses, take time, think, read scriptures, come back next Wednesday and see whether these things are as I am uh, sharing them according to what I believe is what the Lord has laid in my heart. Let's therefore now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 1 up to verse 5. For we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal, in the heavenness. Three words referring to the same thing, house, tabernacle, 
building house tabernacle and building well according to the version i'm using i don't know what version you have there for we know that if the other house of our tabernacle be dissolved so that's that's tent eh? so three words that are pointing to the same thing house tabernacle building house tabernacle building house tabernacle building three words that are being used over here it says, for we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For verily, in this we groan, longing to be clothed upon with our habitation, which is from heaven. For verily, in this we groan, longing to be clothed upon with our habitation, which is from heaven. So the three things I mentioned earlier on, house, tabernacle, building, house, tabernacle, building, all of them, they, are, they, they have one word in common, or one word for all of them, is the word habitation. So if our house, if our tabernacle, if our building, if our habitation. Now habitation is the place where you, uh, where you, you dwell, I want to add another word here called the natural habitat of a thing. The natural habitat of a thing. Nothing can thrive or do well or grow or multiply or increase unless it defines its natural habitat. Natural habitat, in other words, is the environment within which something can do well. Generally speaking, we know this from our experience here in Kenya that tea grows or does well in the hilly and cold areas. We know that coffee does well in the hilly but not very cold areas. We know that rice does well in the warm and flat areas. We know that sugarcane does well in the flat and warm, where possible even hot areas. We know that coconut does well along the coastal lines, generally speaking. Not that you cannot plant some coconut up here. You can. Not that you cannot plant some sugar cane uh, some other place, like in Remuru. You can. <laughs> but uh, if you plant sugar cane in Remuru, and you come back later on and you want to enjoy that sugar cane, you'll find it is flattest. It is, it is tasteless because the, the sun... And the hot sun helps some, in some way in, in producing the sweetness in the sugarcane. So everything does well in its natural habitat. And the way God created everything, everything seems to have its habitat, natural habitat, where it does well. For example, the fish has the water as its natural habitat. And then the animals of the field have dry land as its natural habitat. And the birds of the air have the air as their natural habitat. Now, you may, you, may, you may want to remove the birds from flying in the air and put them some other place. And they can remain there until you confine them. But the day they cease a vent to get out, they will leave that place. Because they only do well in that natural habitat. So there's a cry, there's a groaning for our habitation. There's a cry of our inner man for our habitation. And please, uh, our habitation becomes our clothing. Our habitation is our clothing. I'll explain all these things together. 
For verily in this we groan, longing to be clothed upon with our habitation, which is from heaven. If so be that, being clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words, therefore, and it's common sense, if we are not clothed, we will be found naked. The reason why we groan for our natural habitation, which is our clothing, is because if we are not clothed thus, if we are not clothed as such, we will then be found naked. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. I will explain all these things because the aim, I believe, of the Holy Spirit in this series of teachings we are kicking off here tonight is to encourage each of us to really live and walk in the Spirit. Is to begin to know that as long as we are at home in our physical body, as long as we are at home in being carnal men, as long as we, what defines our value system is carnality, we will be naked. We'll be naked like I will show you in the case of uh, Adam. We'll be naked. But if it be that we put on this new minor, we put on this new house, so to say, which comes from heaven. Heaven is a spirit realm. If we put on this garment that God is putting on us, which is coming out of the heavenly realm, if so, be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For indeed, we that are in this tabernacle, for indeed we that are in this tabernacle, this tabernacle is this house, is this building, is this habitat, we that are in this tabernacle do groan. Do groan. That is anguish. That is a deep cry. That is a painful cry. Is a yearning. Do groan. Being burdened. Being burdened. We are groaning out of a burden. Being burdened. What a, what's a burden? Something is a heavy weight uh, that, is, that is put on you. Being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed. The burden of the spirit the burden of the spirit is not that we'll be unclothed, if it be that this physical body is our present clothing in the physical being. We are not groaning that we will be unclothed. In other words, we would cease to be men who have a physical body and only be spirit because we know we have a spirit within us. We are not crying that we will be unclothed or God will remove the garment called this physical body. Not so. But that we will be clothed upon. That means we already have the garment of our physical human being. But upon that, we know there is a garment that is available on top of this garment of our current dwelling, which is called a tabernacle, which is called the body, which is called the flesh. It's not that we're asking God to take us from the body. It's not that we're telling God, kill, kill our body. And if he kills the body, you will not be alive either in the earth. We are groaning so that while we are still human and living in human bodies, on discovering that the human body leaves you naked and exposed, and on discovering that there's a heavenly house dwelling that is yours, then we are asking him, we are groaning, we are crying, that we will be clothed upon. So is a clothing coming upon your current clothing called the tent or called the tabernacle? Okay? I'll take you back to the journey of Israel 
back in the wilderness, they had the 50 by 100 cubit um, tabernacle of Moses tent of meeting, tent of congregation, that was made of cloth and other materials, acacia wood, etc. Then we all know that up above the holy place, there was a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire that descended and, and remained there, there upon as long as that tent was pitched in a place. So we see a tent, but there is a clothing on top of the tent. The clothing which was that pillar of fire or cloud, which in other words represented God's presence in the earth in that particular place. So here we are, we have this tent, we have this tabernacle. But we know that God's cloud and pillar of fire can descend and sit until when God looks at us from above, he does not see that canvas anymore, but rather he sees the pillar of fire that is standing up above, up above the tabernacle. So we are crying, we are groaning, that will be clothed upon. Why? So that that which is mortal. What is the mortal thing? The mortal thing is your humanity. Your humanity is mortal. Your humanity is not eternal. Your humanity has an expiry date. Your humanity is going to come to an end someday, either by you sleeping or by Christ returning, and then our this mortal body cannot inherit the kingdom of God, has to be translated in the twinkling of an eye. So we, therefore, know that our mortality, our mortality really is not adequate covering for our spirit men. What lies within you is superior to what I see of you. The real you which is in you, which is spirit, is superior to what I see of you. And so the real you who is inside you must pick this groan, cosmic groan and begin to groan. And the cry is simple. Lord, I, the real me, don't feel well covered by my body by my humanity, my, by human nature. And because I know that there's a better covering that you can give to me, so that though I have my white shirt, look at me everyone, assume my white shirt is my physical body, now I want to be clothed upon, on top of the humanity that I am, put on this other clothing which is from above. This is a very deep matter, brethren. It's a very deep matter. It's some of the, you know, some of the things that Paul ventured into some of the things that paul discusses in scripture you don't even want to say amen until after three years of attending the conference lest you are saying amen to the wrong thing at the wrong time actually peter says that some of the things that paul writes they are difficult to understand like this is a very difficult matter to understand luckily luckily paul does not only discuss this matter in only one text so we'll look at several texts uh, and we have already looked at, for example, chapter 4. Towards the end of last year, I was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, 11, 12. That talks about we die daily. You remember that? that just the chapter before this one. It talks about we die daily. So that now death works in us and life in you. You remember that? And what is that dying daily? What in them is dying? What, what does he mean in Galatians 2, verse 20, that I no longer live, but the life I live? What, what is he talking about? He's talking about... There is something mortal in us. Mortal means that which is diable. 
Alright? Not diable as in applying dye, blue, purple, no. Diable is my, my own way of saying something that can die. In you there is something diable, which is your humanity. That's what dies daily. Not your spirit man dies daily. It's your humanity that dies daily. Not because you are aging, but because you know you have to be deliberate about the old person, the old man, who is not necessarily a wicked man. The old man is the human nature that would, would leave your spirit man exposed. You would be naked. You would be naked. Um, and later on in this chapter 5, Paul says, therefore we walk not by sight but by, by faith. Because if we walk by sight, it means we walk in our humanity. It means we admit we are only human that can only interact with things physical. And so we walk by faith, by sight. But he says we walk by sight, by faith, because walking by faith is the walk of the spirit. It's the way you are able to walk uh, and touch in the reality of things that are spiritual. Okay. So, we want to be clothed upon that which is, so that that which is mortal may be swallowed up of life. Now that life is immortality. So we know that unless immortality or zoe or the undiable life. See, mortality is the diable that is wasting away. That is that is ebbing away. Um, you know, when I was a young man, I had serious, thick, tall, black, khaki hair. Is it khaki or it was nylon, kind of, when I was young. But with the age, I found something is happening to my hair. Don't look at me like that as if you are is, uh, is completely intact. Eh? You, you are telling me, oh, good for you. What about you? Your teeth are no longer there. I'm also telling on you. Some of you don't have 32 teeth. Because of age. Because of age. Um, so the, our motto, whether you like it or not, even the physical forces that are at work in this earth, they are not necessarily very good for your physicality, your physical body. Now, while that is the case, Apostle Paul opens our eyes to a certain reality. The reality is that actually it is the immortal that sustains the mortal. Under that, if we would only live as mortal beings on what is only physical, even our aging process would take place faster. But that if our mortal would begin to feed on and be clothed on and put on what is immortal, what is immortal and undiable will even prolong life in the earth in our mortal beings. You know, I used to wonder how come Adam, Methuselah, Noah, Cain, Abel, these guys lived for so long, 900 some years. And then it is God who got to a place and said that I'm going to lessen the days of men on the earth. I think he said 120. He said 120. And uh, it's God who said it. Now what provoked him to say the days of men shall be 120? What promoted, prompted him to say that? Okay. It's because man chose to walk in his mortality and not in God's immortality. When man chose, for example, and I'm coming there, when man chose, for example, to respect the law 
of the desire of his body to partake of that forbidden fruit, etc., then that simply means if he lives by that law that leads to death, then he cannot live forever anymore in that state. The only way to help man is kill him so he does not prolong his wickedness and his disobedience on the earth in the hope that the day will come when we have a seed in the earth that can connect to immortality and live as long as immortality allows because it is the immortal that sustains the mortal. It is what does not die in you that will keep what in you can die longer on the earth. Amen. Are we together? That verse 3 over there is carrying weight. If so be that when we are clothed, then we will no longer be naked. Unless the mortal puts on the immortal, then the mortal is naked. While as your spirit man is inside you and transactions take place inside you, but really, your covering does not come from your physical that we see body. Your covering comes from what is within you, that which is spirit. And that's why Adam one day discovered he was naked. Nobody told him. He just discovered he was naked. Why? It is, he did not listen to the immortal law of God, which is the law of life in Christ. He listened to the mortal law of his physical body, which is the law of lust, the law of sin and death. The love of God was no longer in him, but the love of the world was found in him. And the love of the world is, I mean, what is in the world is the love of the, the you know, help me now. Last of the eyes, last of the flesh, and the love of the Father was not in him anymore, according to First John 2. Another thing was found in him because if he loved the Father, he was not going to reach out. And partake of that fruit if he really loved God. And to love God is not sing the song, I love you, Lord. To love God, according to John 14, is to hear and keep his commandment. Is it John 14 or John 12? John? 14 or 12? 15. 14. Those who love him are those who keep his commandments. To love God is to keep his word. And God had clearly given a commandment to Adam. But he loved the world. He loved the world and lasted. Now when the love of the world was found in him, the love of God was no longer in him. And there was going to be an estrangement, a divorce, a separation, which led to death. In other words, he was going to be covered by his mortality, not God's immortality. Until God put a bridge in place so man could cross back from mortality back to immortality, which the scripture says God has brought to light immortality. When you and I got born again, it was more than just going to heaven when we die. It was so that while we are living this life, we can taste the undying life now. That's why it says we can never, we'll never die. We'll only sleep. Why? We got life in us that can die. It's the undiable life already in you. And so what we now need to do is allow that undying life to become the life you live because that's the only perfect, adequate covering for your spirit man. Anything else will leave you harassed by simple, small devils. Brothers and sisters, I'm talking about a matter which is going to bring a lot of spiritual covering to our church. This thing will bring, will bring covering to our church. 
And we are entering into this thing corporately, not some, but all of us together. Verse 5 says, Now he that wrought us for this very thing is God, who gave unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Let's look at the New King James Version, that verse 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Uh-huh. Did you know God has prepared you for this being clothed from on high? He set you. He has set you. Now he who prepared us for this transaction where mortality puts on immortality because that is the only way that the mortal can have a covering. Let's look at King James Version. Now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Message version. The Spirit of God whets our... We'll take it as it is. <laughs> the Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what is ahead. He put a litro of heaven in our hearts so that we will never settle for. Exactly. Exactly. That's what God desires to do with some of us. He wants you to taste some of the hidden manna and you will never settle for the flesh anymore. When we go through what you're about to touch, when we go through what you are about to see, God is going to open our eyes. Some of you will think we are teaching cultic things, but before you call us cultic, hold on. You need a whole month to conclude. Let's look at the other version. Uh -huh. Now he who has fashioned us, preparing and making us fit for this very thing, is God, who also has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the fulfillment of of his promise. So there's an earnest of the spirit. This groaning is activated by the Holy Spirit who we have received if it be you have received the spirit. And by the way, if you are part of this church and you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues as a basic experience, we would like to encourage you to seek for that. It is yours. Uh, like just like has happened to many of us here, and and I don't mind if you, if, if you if you if you don't mind talk to the pastors, talk to Isaac, talk to Philip, talk to uh, Morris, talk to. Did I see Eric? Yeah, see talk to Eric, uh, or if you think they are too far, talk to your own leader, and tell them I want to I want to be filled with the Spirit and I want to speak in tongues. And by the way, I found of late I'm praying a lot publicly in tongues. Like last Sunday, I prayed so much. Now, I hope I didn't stumble you. Instead of being stumbled, you should tell God, Even if you're too. You know, we are living in very dangerous days now where people call themselves Pentecostal churches and they don't pray in tongues anymore. When the last did you hear people praying loudly, publicly in tongues? 
our churches became so modern, we are now ashamed of speaking in tongues. We cannot be. If Peter and Kamari could speak in tongues before thousands, what about you speaking in tongues before 200 or 100? We should be able to do that. Amen? Say with me, we believe in speaking in tongues. Say with me, we believe in being baptized with the Spirit and speaking in the Spirit. Speaking in tongues. Ask your neighbor, do you speak in tongues? I'm telling you, we cannot allow the enemy to take away from this heritage of speaking in tongues. My friend, I wish I can be allowed now to just speak in some of them. You know, and I'm, I know I'm diverting a bit, but when you look at the Bible, 1 Corinthians 14, it says when you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. It is like taking glucose. You just take that energy into your spirit man. It's very, very, very important. I also told them uh, the other day that uh, you, you cannot prophesy if you can't speak in tongues. In fact, it is easier to speak in tongues than to prophesy. But the same faith by which you can speak intelligible things in, in tongues as the Spirit gives you utterance, so shall you now begin to speak in an in unknown language what you are hearing in the Spirit. You know, for me, when I speak in tongues, the next thing you can expect is our prophesy. Even now, you know, in my mother tongue, you know, prophecy is like sh shooting of arrows. And anyway, that's what prophetic words are. They go on target. You know, when you prophesy, you never miss the mark. When you, when you prophesy from the spirit, not from imagination, from the spirit, they are sharp arrows. Last Sunday, I was so prophetically activated in the service. I think I never even preached last Sunday. What happened is we began to pray and begin to pray in tongues. Why? Don't go there if you're not ready for the prophetic. And I began to hear things and speak things. We began to move. And it was an hour. I thought it was 20 minutes. It was a whole hour of moving that way. So, you see, this groan, this cosmic groan, this ecclesiastical cosmic groan that God puts in the church in every generation is what always leads to the bathing of a new move of God in the earth. Until there be a woman found laboring and groaning in the, in the maternity ward, there will not be a new child. And until the church gets into this cosmic groan, which is always there in every generation to bath God's life, to push God's life, to reposition and restate God's standards in the earth presently in our generation. That groan is coming upon our church. I can feel it. That groan is coming upon our church very seriously, very seriously. And it's going to begin here in the Wednesday service. Amen? It's going to begin here. And I don't know how God is going to lead us, but I can tell you that this growth is going to bother a new church. I remember prophesying on Sunday that there's a new church coming out of this church. This church is going to be changed. There will be a new fountain gate out of this fountain gate. Tell anybody there will be a new fountain gate out of this fountain gate. Anybody who has not been with us for the last six months, they will come and wonder, is this the same church that I used to attend? Because out of this present church is coming for the what? And the Lord gave me a very clear picture. I saw a mountain growing from the sea. And from scripture, a mountain is a kingdom and a sea is people. 
and God is going to arise and raise his kingdom in our midst. And before long, we will not see any more sea, we will see mountain. Say amen. amen. We are coming there by the help of God, but not without this groan, not without this cosmic groan, that God has prepared us, he has whet our appetite for it. He is already poisoning our spirits. Many of us, and this is the evidence of what I'm sharing, the witness rather, many of us are feeling so empty, so hungry, so dissatisfied. Many are feeling so unhappy. Many are feeling so down and out. Huh? For lack of another word, some of us are feeling so forgotten. So forgot the call. Forgot that you feel. Now listen. Listen. That is exactly what happens when you begin to groan. Nothing is good anymore. Nothing is useful anymore. You don't crave for anything anymore. The only thing you want is that life, new life pushed out and you hold that baby in your hands. Now, sons of God dwell in two houses. A physical one, which is this body, and it is temporal. And a spiritual one, which is God's presence in the spirit, God's life in the spirit, and that is eternal. Our physical body is a mortal body. Our spiritual body or spiritual dwelling house is, is an immortal. Therefore, it follows that while we are in this physical house, our spirits are engaged in a spiritual groan or travail. In fact, the absence of this groan means you are no longer in the spirit. If your spirit is no longer yearning and crying for God, my friend, I doubt you are anymore in the spirit. You may have gone back to the flesh and settled there. But as many as are alive in God and in the spirit, there is a constant, continuous groan or cry or yearning, travailing, pain. There's a pain our spirit man is constantly subjected unto because it's by the reason of that pain that the spirit man can have hope for joy in the future. The scripture says that when a woman is in travail, she is in pain and sorrow and all of that. And then as soon as she delivers, the, joy, the sorrow is reversed. It becomes joy. In a twinkling of the eye, in a moment, the very one who was crying is now laughing and calling everyone and saying it's a baby boy. 3.9 Taimajini, baby boy. 3.9 Taimajini. And the friends will come and say, Oh, you do not even look that big. Nimungutu, Taimajini, 3.9, baby boy. And they are now laughing, they are happy, they are celebrating. Oh, there's going to be some porridge. You better whet your appetite. <laughs> you better whet your appetite. There will be some porridge, fermented porridge. Brown, wimpy, fermented porridge for free. There will be jogo, there will be chai, there will be free food. Why? 
because somebody labored. While we are in this physical house, our spirits are engaged in a spiritual groan or travail. It is so abnormal for a Christian not to have this groan, desiring to be clothed upon by God, desiring to mature in God, desiring to ascend in God, desiring to receive this dwelling place that is coming from heaven. It is abnormal. What is normal, and it is common for all who walk with God, beginning from the faithful Abel, all the way, all of them have had a groan in their day. Even Noah in his day had a groan. Even Seth had a groan. Even Enoch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all of them were subjected to some pain somehow, somewhat. Peter was in the groan. Paul was in the groan. Jesus on the cross. Eloi, Eloi. That's the groan. And this follows what happened back in the garden of Gethsemane. He is in the groan. He is growing and groaning until tears ceased to be tears. It became drops of blood coming forth from his face. It's a groan. Every generation requires a corporate company of believers that can groan until new life from heaven hits the earth. Because if not, then the mortar has no covering and the mortar gets so exposed and life is cut short. So while we are in this physical house, our spirits are engaged in a spiritual groan or travail. The travail is actually a deep spiritual longing. The travail is actually a deep spiritual longing for the presence and reality of God, which is the garment that covers our inner man adequately. The travail is a deep spiritual longing for the presence and reality of God, which is the garment that covers our inner man adequately. I'm trying to repeat that so if you can pick the sentence, it will be very, very helpful for you. I repeat. The travail is actually a deep spiritual longing for the presence and reality of God, which is the garment that covers our inner man adequately. And so we who are gathered here this evening do groan, do long to be clothed upon with our habitation, which is from heaven. Let's spend these remaining two minutes doing exactly that, groaning and crying and yearning and praying. Stand up, raise your hands to the Father tonight. Worship team members who are here, please raise your hand before the Lord. You have a very key role to play in our church this year. As God's presence increases among us, your minister will help us navigate into that deep dimension of God's presence. So with your hand lifted up tonight, I pray that the God unto whom you have lifted your hands tonight will give you the skill, the wisdom, the anointing, the understanding, the grace to shift us through the worship ministry. Shift us to a place we are more conscious of God than we are conscious of self. To a place where it's not a focus on a list of songs, but it's a focus on the Lord. To a place where it's not the form that is important, it's the reality and the presence. 
we bless you tonight. We pray that the Lord will help you come through any limitation, present limitation, and come through to a new place in God. Beginning coming Sunday, yes, you shall minister with a new anointing, a new unction, a new grace, a new depth, a new revelation. You will release the you will, fume, you will fumigate the room. You will fill the room with incense. Yes, you will fill the room with sweet smelling aroma. The aroma of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.